Hello, and welcome to another edition of the 16-Ounce Canvas, the Art of Craft Beer podcast. My name is AJ Kearns. I'm your host here each and every week as we do our best to introduce you to the artists and designers who bring your favorite beers and breweries to life. We are up to episode number 32, 32. In this week's episode, we feature... Alex Peltz. Alex comes to us via Philadelphia, my hometown, by way of Vermont. So he and I kind of have the reverse commute in our journeys. I started in Philadelphia and ended up in New England, and he started in New England and ended up in Philadelphia. And as you may know, I'm definitely a what you consider a Philadelphia homer proud of where I grew up and in speaking to Alex one of the things I really enjoyed was the fact that I felt that he really had the same love and appreciation for that even though it's his you know his second home just kind of the the working class and you know the different cultures and it was really nice to speak to him he's a really kind and humble gentleman he's really socially conscious he is an interesting person to speak to He's a world traveler, an entrepreneur, and he has a really great perspective. His appreciation for others and their work as part of the you know, greater whole was pretty eminent right from the, the get-go. Name dropping, but not in like the, I know this guy in a cool kind of way, but in a make sure that somebody else also gets their, their nod and their appreciation. So it was not lost on us. It was a really great experience getting to speak to him. We hope that you will enjoy this episode as well. We talk about to Alex, you know, about his career, how he got started, how he ended up in Philadelphia, his friendship with Sean Hill, the work he's doing with Plowman Cider, and all the other great artists and breweries that he's working with. So it was a really great experience. Like I said, we're up to episode number thirty-two. It's crazy, but we thank everybody for for tuning in. It really means a lot to us. If you're looking to see more of Alex's work, you can go to peltzcreative.com, like animal skin with a Z, P-E-L-T-Z, creative.com. You can find them also, Peltz Creative, on Instagram. And then if you want to find along with Alex and his journey, his, you know, see the world through his eyes a little bit, Alex W. Peltz on Instagram as well. So it's really enjoyable. We had the chance to speak to him. I really hope you enjoy this week's episode. Just want to, uh, again, thank you for, for tuning in. If you are new here, we welcome. And if you're old, that's fine, too. We, uh, we appreciate everybody. I was at a, an event. I work in the market research space. And somebody who I've you know known for many years, just kind of you see each other through the circuit, you know, see each other around, follow what you're up to, you know, follow on different social uh, platforms, but come up to me and said, you just want to tell me that he really enjoys the podcast and that he's been listening to a lot of the episodes and it was just really uh, unsolicited and really appreciative and it was really good so you know thanks adam hopefully you enjoy this one and if you are trying to find out more information about us you can head over to 16ozcanvas.com you can also check out the instagram 16ozcanvas on twitter and on the book of faces facebook it is so we're just trying to keep it fresh keep it interesting try to share some different perspectives, imagery, information with you throughout our different social channels. 
We're trying to make sure they're all not the the same, which at times can be a little difficult. But, you know, we are the collective we of one. And we just keep bumping and grinding each week. So we thank you for that. Loving this music. We'll find out later on in the episode who it is. But it's one of my favorites. And the fact that Alex and I had this in common, I was geeked out, just to say the least. So... You're listening to 16 Ounce Canvas, the Art of Craft Beer podcast. That hasn't changed. We're up to episode number 32. Holy, holy, holy. In case there's kids listening, we'll keep it clean. At least we'll we'll try. 16 Ounce Canvas, the Art of Craft Beer podcast, episode number 32. Without further ado, this is Alex Peltz right here. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the 16 Ounce Canvas. The Art of Craft Beer Podcast. Very excited this week to have with us from right outside my hometown of Philadelphia, Mr. Alex Pelt. So thank you, Alex, for taking the time to join us. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing great. Um, I'm doing great. Yeah, it's a nice nice time of year here, so feeling good and uh, excited to talk with you, AJ. Awesome. Yeah, like I said, uh, I'm born and raised in Philadelphia, so anytime I get to call a 215 phone number, it's kind of that's just kind of like, oh... <laughs> That's like the warm and fuzzies for me, so it's always good. Yeah, and you said it properly too, Philadelphia. Oh, a, yeah, exactly. Of, you kind of swallow the L and, and uh, blur some vowels in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's kind of it's a when you look at it, it's a it's a big word, but I definitely I haven't I've lost some of my other ways of saying word. I still say home and phone and a few others uh, like Philly, but I don't I don't say water anymore, so I do get a. <laughs> I do get many dirty looks at the at the dinner table from especially from my youngest older sister, I guess is the best way. To, yeah, she's definitely I'm surprised she doesn't have like Philadelphia tattoos and kind of, you know, the whole thing, but yeah, she's I remember the first time I came home from living in New England and not saying water. She said, "Excuse me? What did you just say?" And I, I didn't even think yeah. anything of it. And I, I kind of was like a, it was a, it was a sad moment. I was like I, I got why she was I felt like, "Oh, that was a piece of me." Yeah, pride runs deep. Oh yeah, it's it's unlike any other, which is you know, which is amazing. So I've converted my kids to Philly sports fans, and so you know, we're, we're, we're things are things are good. We're in a little microcosm here. Nice, excellent. Well, I just wanted to again thank you for making the time to to speak with me. You know, we've been really excited to to get you get you on here and learn about you as a you know designer and an artist. Um, you know, we came to learn of your work through the work you've. Uh, been doing with Hill Farmstead and just really, you know, really excited to you know, kind of see behind the curtain and you know, learn a little bit more about what you're doing. Cool. So if you, uh, on the interwebs, you want to check out, uh, Alex's uh, company, uh, him and his wife, Anne run Pelts Creative. So you can go to peltscreative.com like the animal skin, but with a Z P E L T Z creative.com. You can see some of the work that they've done there. And just like any busy artist, most websites that for the designers and artists we speak to aren't um, in real time updated because they're actually working with clients. So it's never, never the priority to update your website. You know, like like we've uh, we've come to learn that it's kind of a staple across the, all the artists and designers we've spoken to. <laughs> yeah, it's the sad truth of most most people's existence is that uh, the websites are, are some of the last um, projects to get any attention. Uh, but yeah, Instagram uh, is a good way to stay in touch with, with recent work as well. And that's just also Pelt Creative. Um, one word. Excellent. Yeah, I, I think that, and I also think that, I mean, I think websites are important, but it's amazing how much 
the the medium has shifted. I think before that was like the end all be all stop. And I think now obviously you need to have a website, but with design and creative, I think people like to see that, you know, the Instagram or the, the social kind of aspect of it and see the, the visual pieces of it. So it's kind of, it's interesting. I always find that I used to be a freelancer and so I would do websites, but now I don't know if they have as much power. I mean, obviously as they did in the past, or they, they serve a different function, I guess I should say. Yeah, for sure. They do. They're, they're, they fit into a larger uh, communication uh, suite, you know, channels, I guess. You know, there's, there's so many different ways to get out there. You've got to have them all. And, uh, well, actually, you don't have to have them all. I guess that's the other thing I'm sort of realizing is, is um, you know, for large companies, obviously, you have to, you have to be, be, you know, everything to everyone. But um, fortunately, for, for someone super small like myself or even medium size, you know, thinking about breweries that I've worked with or observed, um, some are, are scaling back in those ways. You know what I mean? Um, thinking more uh, consciously or strategically um, or just personally about how they want to engage with, with uh, audiences and, and how much time they want to sort of devote to, to uh, being on social media and, and constant communication because um, it's sort of demanded by, by consumers and audiences and uh, the public, but uh, I don't necessarily think that you have to uh, always jump uh, when when somebody says that. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. That's a that's a whole other conversation. No, we welcome it. Yeah, I, I was having a discussion with a friend of mine who's an art director, and it was he had gotten this weird request for like the. It reminded me of like the late '90s, early 2000s type of website request where it was just you were trying to have your website be like do something cool or unique that another website had never done before or have like these Easter eggs when you mouse over something, something else happens. And <laughs> it was, but it was for a business that had no need for that. It was like, that's, yeah. it was like you, the people would come there for information. They weren't coming there to have like, you know, 1600 by 800 uh, images, like take over the whole screen and, you know, move. It was, it was, so it was just, it was kind of interesting to see that they maybe weren't cognizant of what, what their, their website's main purpose was. Or maybe they're like ahead of the curve and they're doing like throwback 90s <laughs> cheesy websites. That yeah. Could be a thing soon. <laughs> that could be, yeah. There, yeah, I do. There is that niche of folks who like, like I geek out over the 8-bit stuff, which I, which I think is creative. Just like you have all these amazing tools then to have to like go back and try to like slum it, you know, make it, strip it down. So I, I do find that interesting. Yeah. Well, the, I remember the, uh, the Magic Cat website, which I haven't been to in a long time, but being from Vermont, that was what I... Uh, kind of grew up with, well, not the website, but the brewery. And, and I remember their website used to be super kooky. You know, you'd go to it, it'd be like this outer space scene and things would be zooming around and flying and you'd have to fly, find navigation or buttons. And yeah, information was clearly not the purpose of the website. Which yeah. I guess in some ways I appreciate, but um, right. the like, times have changed. Like you're going to drink beer and you already know about our beer or you just went down some weird rabbit hole and ended up here, which which I do find myself on sometimes now. But yeah, I agree. It's just interesting. I mean, I started with GeoCities Geo to date myself, and I thought that was like the coolest thing yeah. ever. So that, uh, yeah, that was awesome. The beauty of view source made me, took me up like 10 notches like pretty quickly. I was just like, wait, I can just see all the code that somebody else did. And then I would just copy it in the notepad. And because I mean, you, with the dial-up days, that was really helpful. I could just see it, you know, without having to be online. So that, that was one of the first times I was like blown away by like behind the curtain type stuff. Yeah. So 
you said you're from Vermont and now you're, you know, like I said, outside of, of, of Philadelphia, what is your, you know, what's your kind of, uh, your story, Alex? Like, how did you, you know, get into design and how did you end up in, in, in my hometown area? Yeah. Um, I did. I grew up in Vermont, Northern Vermont, a small town called Woodbury, which is, um, about 30 miles northeast of Montpelier, which is the capital, and um, is north central, so we're sort of northeast. Small town of about 800 people, so it's a uh, very rural, um, a great, pretty little town. The most, the most lakes and ponds in the state of Vermont, so it's uh, kind of ponds and streams and hills and forests. Um, uh, Vermont's Vermont's a pretty special place uh, for for those of us who were fortunate enough to be born and raised there but it's um it's a it's a hard place to live in some ways too you know it's for a lot of people the weather can be tough um and the the job the the, the career opportunities are relatively limited so you have to a lot of people either you know work for larger organizations or the government um teachers my mom was a teacher um or have your own business my dad was a, a builder he had a design and construction company building Vermont style homes and um, so a lot of a lot of people do that kind of work um, and uh, so that's where I grew up I was my mom was an art teacher as I said my dad had sort of a creative artistic background as well um, my sister's an artist so I had sort of art my in the background of my sort of growing up and being but um, I went to school for I went to uh, college and at Hamilton College, which is in central New York State, and um, I studied anthropology, uh, which is was an interest of mine for a long time. I, I, ironically, I mean, I was always into sort of social social histories, um, politics, um, history, um, you know, and 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 more sort of tangibly, I just liked <laughs> physical culture, you know, the artifacts of of human existence, um, and so I studied anthropology, which was great, um, but. Uh, I kind of knew that I wasn't going to make a career out of that. I didn't want to pursue a graduate degree and do field study and field research. And uh, the sort of artistic side of, of, of my life after graduating uh, became more appealing. And I I sort of decided that I wanted to learn graphic design and particularly do that through public interest or, or social justice work. Um, but I wasn't quite sure how to do that. And um, around that same time, I was back in Vermont after graduating. Um, and this was less than a year after getting out of school and uh, my my good friend from from growing up Sean Hill uh, of, of Hill Farmstead was uh, also back from college uh, he went to school outside of Philadelphia uh, Haverford College and so we were back in Vermont and deciding what to do and um, and he said well I've got some friends in Philadelphia and they have a you know a spare bedroom we should we should just go check that out and spend some time in the city and see how that goes and and so we did, and uh, we moved. We moved here kind of on a whim. Uh, shared a bedroom. Um, I'd, I'd been here once before as a as a kid, you know, to visit the Liberty Bell and stuff with my parents, uh, but hadn't really spent much time. And uh, so we were here. Then you know, it was uh, I don't know about two weeks or so. And uh, Sean had some uh, a breakup with a, a girlfriend in the area, and kind of felt that uh, this wasn't the right fit for him. So he headed back to Vermont uh, to do his to do his his things and and I decided to stick it out and um, and so here I, there I was in Philadelphia, uh, you know, sort of fresh, fresh off the out of the car and you know sort of bleary eyed. I remember just like looking up at the buildings and thinking, wow, this is this is where I live. Um, but there was a great community of people here. Philadelphia's changed a lot even in the 15 years or so that I've been here. 
Uh, it's changed a lot. It's, I mean, as you know, AJ, it's a, it's a pretty working class town, very blue collar. Uh, it's got a great history, but um, went through a pretty serious sort of economic decline in the 80s or so. But since then, it's really rebounded, and um, it's still quite poor. But uh, the center center part of the city is seeing a huge resurgence of people moving into the city and stuff. So it was a fun time to be in Philly. Very creative, uh, a lot of DIY people, kind of makers and doers. And uh, I really like that about the city, just the sort of spirit of it and the grittiness of it, and um, um, and the opportunities that you could make here. It was really felt like a place that. Um, you could start really with nothing and almost do anything. Um, and, uh, you know, comparatively, we're always sort of looking up to, to New York in some ways, or at least we're often, we being Philly, compared to New York, uh, which is which is kind of an unfair comparison. They're completely different cities, but they're close and they're quite big. Um, and, you know, in New York, where you have the opportunity to, con- to consume a lot of culture and, and consume a lot of things, I feel like in Philly, there's a great opportunity to, to, to make and do things. Almost anybody can can make or do what they want to do. Um, so, you know, I hadn't really felt that spirit yet, but in, 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 in being in Philly, I had to make something work. So I was, you know, doing restaurant work. And, and then I started, I literally walked in the street or walked off the street into um, a design firm called Design for Social Impact, um, which I actually, Sean had found online and said, you should check out. Um, and so I checked it out and it, it, was, it is uh, an amazing company that um, Exclusive does work for public interest organizations. It's a mission-driven company to call attention to important social issues. And so I walked on the street. I had no design experience. I had no, you know, I was fresh out of college. Uh, I said, I want to work here. And they said, well, we don't have a job, but um, we can uh, we can give you an internship, basically. And that's what I did. And so I started on a project that my boss, uh, Ennis Carter, had kind of wanted to start but never had the opportunity to, or the time, rather, to, to put any energy into and. It was a project to um, research and document all of the remaining posters that were created during the Works Progress Administration, the WPA, which was um, President Roosevelt's uh, program during the New Deal to get people back to work. And the WPA had um, a poster division, which was essentially like the, the advertising propaganda arm of the, of the WPA to promote all of the work that were going on, all the projects. Um, and so they created 35,000 unique designs in 18 different design studios around the country uh, and did impressions of those more than 2 million times. So we knew that there were a ton of posters out there. Anyway, so that's so for the next couple of years, that was the project that I was working on. Um, we, we doubled the known collection of posters. We produced a book. We have a website. We, we did all that. And then, um, so eventually I got a job at, at this design agency. I was doing grassroots organizing. I was doing website maintenance, et cetera, et cetera. And I, so I, anyway, I, I sort of worked up the, the, uh, the ladder at that, at that company. And I left uh, 10 years later as the creative director. Um, uh, and I started to do design work. Uh, and I've learned a lot about sort of the, the underlying, uh, sort of theories and principles and ideas of, uh, both graphic design and also, um, sort of marketing through a, a grassroots organizing lens. That was the sort of approach um, that, that, that I learned, which was, which was very special and unique and, and, and sort of grounded in a, like a human-focused approach to marketing as opposed to just sort of sales-oriented approach. Um, and, you know, 10 years felt like a long time. I wanted to leave. Uh, and, and I'd always been sort of doing uh, some work with, uh, with Sean. Uh, at this point, he had started Hill Farmstead and uh, was getting up and started started and um, 
uh, it helped him kind of conceive of uh, of the brand to some degree. I mean, certainly uh, Hill Farms said it is all uh, Sean Hill, but uh, he and I were our best friends and we grew up together. So we were always talking, thinking about that. And so the, uh, almost regard, regardless of the design, we were talking about sort of the brand and how Hill Farms said was reflective of place and history and people and talking about, you know, the names of his ancestors and how those would become the beers and stuff like that. So um, anyway, and then I eventually started doing some design work for him sort of on the side, and uh, I would take in a few side, side freelance projects. So I decided that I could probably make a go of it on my own, and, and that's what I did. So I started Self Creative um, with my wife, who I met at Design for Social Impact. She, she's a designer as well, and, um, and we just started this small little business, and uh, like a lot of people do, um, you know, it's out of our home and, and started with a few handful of clients, and um, it's grown from there. So we've been um, doing this for about four years and, and still a mix of public interest, nonprofit organizations, and um, and then um, sort of food and, and beverage. And mostly in those in the beverage category, it's, it's, um, it's you know, beer and, and cider uh, branding and, and label design. So I really love that. Uh, and in some ways, I feel like the label, the labels connect to the the poster work that I did earlier, um, because it's they're both sort of these ephemeral, creative things that um, you experience every day, but uh, but have uh, you know sort of an emotional reaction to because they're they're pieces of art. So anyway, that's that's a long-winded uh, sort of background on on where I'm from and how I got to where I am right now. <laughs> that's a, no, that's Alex. That's great. I mean, I I, I was. I have so many questions, but I was like, I just wanted to hear the story. I kind of was just sitting back and listening. I think it's really just kind of a great journey, and you know, it's 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 warming to my heart. Your appreciation for Philadelphia, you know, I think at times it gets a a bad reputation, but I think there's just so many little microcosms of you know of culture and you know and people there. It's just really it's really beautiful. And so I think just to see where you're coming from, I mean, I've, I've kind of come the reverse, you know, being from Philadelphia and now living in new England, you know, we spend summers in Maine, you know, Maine for a period of time and come to spend time in Vermont. So it's definitely, they're, they're both very similar to me while they're seen as very large scale, you know, um, you know, in, in yeah, diff, yeah, diff, the reverse di journey. <laughs> right. They're different in scale, but I think just kind of the overall, you know, community and, passion and you know ability you know just looking out for each other i think that those are very very common common themes that i think are maybe often overlooked due to the size of the population like you're saying comparing it to new york which i as i go to new york almost every other week it's not even like doesn't even feel it's totally night and day to me so it's it's interesting yeah i you know i live in what i feel is now the i don't know the sixth largest city in the country i think that's what it is but when I go to New York, it still feels like, whoa, I still get butterflies. It, it, it feels like a city, you know, it's just, it's the largest city in the country. It's a, uh, it's a major global metropolis. It's a, uh, it's a different, different kind of animal for sure. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, um, like my father, we, he used to work for the city. He worked in uh, social services. And so we always had to live, I think the laws have changed now, but we always had to live in the Philly proper. So if I took you to where I grew up, it would not, it, you wouldn't be able to find that in the Manhattan. It, it was almost like a su suburb within a, a, a major city. So I think it's huh. that's why it's always interesting. Yeah, we're at, we're in the Great Northeast, uh, right off of uh, near. Well, actually, oh, yeah. we're, we're in Nabisco. Used to be. My mother sent me a sad 
video the other day oh, of, them, yeah. of them tearing it down. <laughs> that was that was pretty yeah. sad. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a yeah bygone bygone era when those uh, when those big companies were kind of right in the city, you know, and and even if it's in the Northeast, I mean, it's still a, that's a that's a huge that was a huge huge um, operation, you know, in in a city limit, which is um, yeah, yeah. You don't see that much anymore. Yeah, on the on the playing fields or even to our house, you know, depending on the way the wind, the wind was blowing that day, you would many a day smell a fresh you know fresh cooked cookie. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was like so. It was, it was like to us, it was almost like a little bakery. You know, I had that smell when you walk into a bakery, but you have the soccer field playing, and you'd, you'd smell, you know, the Nabisco cookies come across, and it was like, oh, all right, cool. That's pretty cool. Well, you know, it's funny. I uh, sort of bringing it back to beer for a moment. I, it, you know, with with the rise of of craft brewing, it's and and especially, um, you know, the rise of that in urban areas. It's almost like that. Um, you know that that industrial scale food production is coming back into cities in some ways. You know, with even if it's just a microbrewery or a uh, or, or a brew pub or something. But you know, I live I live uh, you know in, in Kensington, which is a sort of northeast, but not the northeast part of Philadelphia. And you know, I'm close to the Philadelphia Brewing Company, which um, isn't an old uh, I forget the name of it, but it's an you know it, it, it's a very historic property that used to be a brewery, uh, you know, in the probably late 19th century, German immigrants, classic, you know, beer story. But anyway, it's, and so I, I now smell, you know, wart when I walk out of my house, you know, it's, it's two blocks away. And, and it's kind of cool because that sort of small industry um, coming back into urban areas and it's really coming up everywhere. It's not just urban, but, uh, and it's, and that's, I think that's a really cool thing about, um, not just cool, but um, exciting part of like the craft or, or, or brewing world more broadly is uh, making stuff again. And um, and I'm not talking like make America great uh, again, kind of like we need to make everything, but it's just a neat uh, reconnection to uh, where food comes from and how we make things. And um, uh, yeah, just, it's, it's just, it's just cool. And it's, uh, and it's in a, in a place like Philly where you have those industrial roots you can do it because all that infrastructure is here. So it's in some ways it's sort of repurposing already what's available. Um, yeah. So I, I find that pretty neat. I do. Yeah. And I, if you had gone down a great, make America great path again, and we would have had a technical difficulty and probably gotten disconnected, but, <laughs> um, but no, I, I, I do love that. And I like the, the focus of the kind of that beer, you know, brew pub style where I think it's more of a communal thing than a like, let's go and get, you know, bomb, you know, get wasted or, or whatever, just kind of having that, you know, that's where I think we're at the largest point since prohibition. And I think the reason it's people, it's crazy to think that how many quote unquote breweries there were back in the day, but it was because every almost corner was, they considered that a brewery. And that's where you'd go with your, your friends and your family and you'd celebrate. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was a social also communal aspect to, to share good, bad, and you know, the ugly of what, what was going on at the time. So the, the Philly scene is definitely it's definitely great when you're like you look on your map and you're like there's a brewery here and you look and you're like where is this like it doesn't have that traditional like you know neon sign look at me type of a feel it's very like you said industrial and that's yeah there's one no better places for that than you know Philadelphia for sure now now you mentioned you know your relationship with with Sean so was Sean always brewing beers or is that something that, that you always knew that that's the path he would go on? I mean, if, if he didn't break up with that girl, we might not have one of the, 
greatest breweries, you know, in the world, right? I mean, that's pretty. So whoever that girl uh, was, we should thank yeah, her. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tie it back to, <laughs> to, um, to, to his girlfriend at the time. Uh, break it up with my. <laughs> I don't think that was necessarily the past. No, it was uh, a bad. It was a bad joke. Was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, who knows? You know, the butterfly flaps its wings and uh, sets, sets the tornado on its course, or whatever that uh, mesh is. Um, yeah. So, I mean, Sean. Uh, I mean, this is a story he's he's told a lot in, in uh, uh, to, to folks uh, in in his own storytelling way. But yeah, he's been brewing beer a long time. He started um, brewing um, <clears throat> as a science experiment. I think in uh, I want to say when he was when he was like fifteen. Um, so he was probably, what's that, you know, like a, a sophomore, um, in, 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 uh, high school, uh, which was pretty cool, you know, for a school to allow, allow a, uh, a minor to, to brew beer. And I think that was his first experience with it. And then from there he kept doing it. And, um, and, you know, Sean is a, Sean is a, uh, a, a has always had like, a sort of a, uh, been sort of a social center for, for, um, for his friends, you know, and people would always kind of get together at his house. Um, you know, he lives, if you've been up to Hill Farmstead, you, you know, I mean, he sort of lives on a family, uh, almost a state, you know, his parents live across the road, his brothers and on the same property is, uh, you know, his ancestors has, have held, held that land for a really long time. Uh, and he's now brewing on the, on the farm that was his, his grandfather, Edward. Um, and, and, you know, that land is great. It's a, it's a field and there's a small pond there. And so we would always gather there and, and uh, uh, you know, for parties or, you know, weekends and birthday parties. And not, not everybody's birthday party, but his and uh, around uh, Memorial Day, we would always get together up there. So anyway, yeah, he was always kind of a, a social center. I mean, he's a very um, private person um, in a lot of ways, but I think that's the interesting thing about about Sean is that he's, um, you know, introverted, um, very introspective, quiet in some ways, but also has this incredible sort of social personality and, and need to be with people. And, um, so brewing beer was kind of part of that, you know, we sort of would, um, brew beer, drink beer, hang out. I didn't do a lot of brewing beer. I mean, I maybe helped him a little bit, but it was really his thing. And, um, yeah, so he was brewing beer and, uh, through high school a little bit and, um, perhaps he may have even submitted some, some sort of to competitions through high school. I don't remember the exact trajectory. And, um, when he went off to college, he started a homebrew club, um, at Haverford, which I think is still going. Um, and they, you know, he, he and his buddies would brew beer. And, um, then after school, you know, after college, I think he, you know, he was still brewing just kind of for fun and, and, and doing well. I mean, he was, he was making really great beer, um, um, but I think, you know, he studied philosophy and I, I think he was, uh, and then when he graduated, he was back in Vermont and painting houses and just doing odd jobs and, um, doing some tutoring. And I think he was considered, considered, he had considered being a teacher. Um, that was really, I think I can almost remember, um, like a, a moment when he was like, do I do this brewing thing or do I just say, forget it and become a teacher? You know, that was, there was like a, a very clear moment i i remember having a conversation with him like is this what what, what am i going to do you know um and i think the first i'm probably going to get this wrong but i think the first brewing job was at either it was either trout river or the shed in snow and i i should know this which which one came first i think it was at trout river because he was 
the assistant brewer, and then he went and he was the head brewer at the Shed, and then he got an uh, opportunity to brew in Denmark, and that's when he went to uh, Neubro, or Noribro, Nor- Nor- as we say in, in, uh, in America, but a uh, brew pub in, in Copenhagen, and then he went there, and, and then all during this time he'd been sort of considering his own brewing project, and then after Denmark he really came back like full steam, like, I'm going to do it, and that's when he started Hill Farmstead. Um, but before that, we were sort of, uh, I think this is often the case, like, you know, you're kind of toying with the idea of your own brewery. And so if you're doing homebrew, but you're brewing professionally for your day job, maybe you're homebrewing on the side and you kind of have a name. I remember Gene from Tired Hands actually had like, when he was brewing at, um, Iron Hill, Tired Hands was like his homebrew project, you know, and then he knew that that was going to become the name of his, of his, uh his brewery when he started it. And I think Sean had the same thing in mind. I think Hill Farmstead was a, a name pretty early on um, just because it seemed to, to fit so well. But yeah, so he, he's been brewing for a long time. Uh, so I've been drinking his beers um, admittedly since I was a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that as a teenager, I think that's great. Like, uh, what are you doing? Oh, I'm making beer, but it's for, my wife's a science teacher. So I, I do very much see the, the beauty of the, the science of it all. When I, I tried to homebrew a few times and, she was the the lab kind of QC person. She's I was like, oh, these are, everything's clean. She's like, this is not this is not acceptable for <laughs> yeah. this is not this is not cut in the lab. And I was like, okay, yeah, back, back, yeah, not lab grade. I'm like oh, a little kind of scrub grade. over here. Yeah, it was not it was not good. So if yeah, <laughs> there's any success from those uh, limited batches, I would, would go to the missus. But that's usually how it goes. She's the the brains of the operation. And we are back. You are listening to the 16-Ounce Canvas, the Art of Craft Beer podcast, episode number 32, featuring Alex W. Peltz. So let me know if my joke was as poorly received as I feel it was after listening back to it a few times. We make decisions like that each week. Should we keep out or, you know, edit things or improve how I sound, but a lot of times it's part of the story. I think it's part of the conversation. You know, it's the feeling out of each other process. Sometimes uh, you hit or miss, so we keep it in there. But I really enjoy Alex's story. I Hopefully you are enjoying it yourself. It's a really dynamic, interesting story from the the work he you know, did design for social change, um, social design, you know, the WPA, which is really interesting. It's kind of nice to see that project, you know, the historical significance of it, you know, the work progress administration from President Roosevelt, the poster division. And it's something that just became a, a passion project and get to meet your wife at the, at something that you both share passionately. You start your own business and here you are today, you know, work with one of your best friends Working still with uh, nonprofits and, and you know social impact. It's just really a really good story, and it's being done in my hometown of Philadelphia, which is just kind of the icing on the proverbial cake. So we will uh, we'll plug away here. PeltzCreative.com, P-E-L-T-Z, Creative.com. You can also check them out on Instagram, Pelts Creative, and Alex W. Pelts on Instagram. 
it was a lot of fun going through the archives. It's one of my favorite self-serving kind of uh, interesting parts of this process is when we're trying to you know learn more about the images, learn more about the story, is going through the different, you know, archives or searching through, you know, spend a lot of time deep diving into the WPA. You know, after our talk with Alex, finding these old posters, you know, reading up on his book. And it's just uh, it's just really exciting to to see that and to to learn more about that. So hopefully everybody is, you know, taking the time to, you know, learn a little bit more about these projects learn more about the the passion and the hard work that goes into it. You can head on, head on over to Amazon, Posters for the People, Art of the WPA. You know, editorial contributions by the one and only Mr. Alex Peltz, and it's uh, published by Quirk Books. You can also go to the website, postersforthepeople.com. So, like I said, that's one of my favorite parts, is just kind of going down that hole and, you know, learning about different things, you know, as we said before, uh, Alex is a very kind and humble person, and just kind of the, the recognition and the, the mentioning of the different artists and illustrators, designers that, that he knows and works with, you kind of find yourself you know, exploring their work as well and learning different things about them. So we took the opportunity. It was great. And so hopefully you'll, uh, you'll spend a little time maybe while you're listening to this and you'll learn a little bit more about Alex and his story. Make sure to follow him on, on the Instagram or, uh, you know, his social sites and see where it takes you. So you're listening to episode number 32, 32, 32. So we are having a great time. We're going to learn a little bit more about his label work, what he's, you know, he's doing, his, his journeys. We were both uh, recently in the Netherlands and we missed each other by a day or two. So... That would have been really cool, but we're hoping to get in 3D to have a beer. We'll see where that takes us, but for right now, we're going to get right back into it. Without further ado, the one and only Mr. Alex W. Peltz, right here on the 16-ounce canvas. Not the 15 or 17, but the 16-ounce canvas Art of Craft Beer podcast. Uh, and one, one of the things I do notice just from, you know, working at the, you know, um, designed for social impact and just from, you know, the, like you said, Sean is a, a private person and I, I respect that very much. But one of the things I think you both have in common, which I was drawn to is kind of the, the social consciousness and just kind of, you know, it's the beer, I mean, the beer itself, obviously it's a, it's a consumer product, but I think you just really, you guys are socially conscious just from what I've seen from afar and just, you know, making those choices, I think are really, really admirable and something that I was definitely drawn to with the information I was able to you know, research on yourself and just hearing about you wanting to work at design for social impact and you know being involved in the community and things of that nature so I just wanted to I guess applaud you for that that definitely yeah, well, resonates that, that, yeah that's interesting I hadn't sort of um, connected that but you're right I guess as an outside observer uh, I mean you know I have that but I don't think it's exceptional my you know my interest in that um, and and Sean certainly um, ha- does that in his own way too I mean he's very thoughtful and considerate about um, everything he does you know and um, and and sort of for the most part he does it for the people around him and that's his family and his close friends um, but everything is done um, with and in a, a clear intention to be the best it can be 
um, but also uh, to have sort of the most positive impact, I think, um, on the world as possible. I mean, that's not, not, you can't do that all the time, but whether that's sort of your environmental footprint or your sort of social contract with your employees and, and consumers, um, and um, certainly just uh, be, being a, a, a good steward of place also. I mean, that's a big part of it is that he's committed to, um, to Greensboro and to his, to his homestead, his farmstead, his homeland, um, and uh, you know, thinking about Vermont as a place that, as I said, is is, is is has almost always been economically challenged. I mean, there's been boom times, but it's a hard place to to make an existence and and to thrive. And and he's done that, and he's done it for himself, but also for uh, the people around him. And that's uh, that's admirable in in a, in a big way. And and doing that without compromising quality, but actually sort of bringing quality with you, uh, elevating place, elevating people, trying to bring social consciousness to certain issues. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I, I just think that, uh, that, that in some ways that's, 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 a, that's a common trait of, of Vermont people, uh, but uh, Sean certainly embodies it. I would, yeah, the, the Vermont, yeah, I think the Vermont ideals, I think that I think that, that that was. I think that's a great way to say, yeah, to describe it because yeah. I think that you and him, you know, especially me being lifelong friends. I mean, your your values, I, I assume, again, are intertwined. I think, and I think that's a great thing that while people leave Vermont, you know, you, I like to think of it like you know, like a little Johnny Appleseed, right? You're leaving it, but as you do that, you're bringing those two areas that don't have that always had that intimacy or that that culture which i think in the vermont area especially like you said given the financial hardships that are experienced by by some and in some cases many you know i think that to 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 still have that positive and you know greater good and community uh, mindset you know when it could could be more difficult to do that you know is 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 important especially i think now more than ever yeah definitely and one of the things you're, you know, you're talking about with, uh, you know, the family and the, and the importance of those, you know, around uh, Hill is uh, going back to the, the design. I, I think that if you look at the, the bottles and I guess you could say now say cans, which is, which is really cool too, but I just think that they're really simple and, and beautiful and they have, you know, really distinct and standalone, but they're to, to go back to what we were saying, they, they have that, um, they're, they're, they're really intimate. I mean, I think just that even the names of the beers you're saying like about their, your family and the heritage, you know, as somebody who's, you know, we're always deep diving when we can on you know, ancestry.com and trying to find where we you know as far down as we can go and branches that we explore, you know, personally, you know, I look forward to, you know, reading those stories or, or learning about that. So that, that's really, I, I would love to hear about the, that process of coming up with, I mean, because it's it's really branding, but it's really intimate branding in a way with all the you know the family and the legacy of of it of the family. So yeah, yeah, I can tell you as much as I as much as I know about it, and and I you know Sean will obviously be the expert on that, uh, but <clears throat> I have a pretty and, close relationship. Yeah, and from a branding yeah, perspective. and Alex and I don't. I just wanted to say I don't want to um, impede on you. Like I'm not I'm not trying to have you be a, um, like a catalyst to tell me more about 
things that you know are, are intimate or personal. I, I just more I, I, the the branding and design of it. You know, if that's you know, yeah. you know, any any personal stories or things that you know, I, like I said, I don't I want to respect. You know, it's not. Oh, oh, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not speaking. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. Cool. You're I, crying, I mean, right. I'm just. Yeah. I'm not. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to just be. Yeah. Be clear. And I, I'm. I'm. Yeah, I'm no, okay. I that. that's, okay. That's, that's nice. Um, yeah. So I, I guess I, I just want to first say that uh, it's important to know, and this is often a, a, a um, something that I get. Uh, I get credited with the branding for Hill Farmstead, and I. I have been involved in the branding of, of Hill Farmstead broadly, and I do the label design currently. But the actual logo design and, and sort of primary uh, uh, sort of brand standards were established by um, a, a Danish designer that Sean worked with, um, Soren Varney. Varney. And uh, he was so sort of pre- Denmark, uh, Sean knew that he wanted to open Hill Farmstead. So we've been discussing, you know, how to come up with an identity that, you know, re reflected the beers that he wanted to make, the place. Um, he knew that he wanted to name the beers after his ancestors, partially because it was seemed the most appropriate way to represent, you know, who he is and where he's coming from. Uh, but also because he has such a depth of history there that there were people, there's a lot of names, you know, and he knew that he was going to be making a lot of beer, different beer. And this was also like, this is getting a little bit into uh, sort of the craft beer of the time, but there, you know, there weren't a lot of breweries that were doing like a lot of different beers all the time. You know, maybe if you were a brew pub, but for a production brewery to be putting out like, a, like, you know, a myriad of different beers all the time was, was somewhat unusual. You know what I mean? It, now it seems really common when you have, you know, can releases every week and it, maybe it's a different beer every week, you know, that is putting, putting out. But there wasn't a lot of that. So anyway, we knew that there were going to be a lot of different beers and that we needed to come up with a system that was going to accept that diversity and plethora of, of beers uh, and therefore potentially labels that needed to be put out there and names for the beers. Um, so, you know, coming up with, you know, uh, the ancestors was a was a was a good way to at least come sort of tackle the naming thing, but he and I had worked. So I I was working at Design for Social Impact. Um, I had was surrounded by amazing designers. So I sort of brought in um, some friends to help come up with concepts for Hill Farmstead, and we did. And we developed I don't know um, two or three different strong concepts for Hill Farmstead. But at the time he hadn't gone to Denmark. He was still sort of thinking like, actually, and another friend of ours, uh, Sean McCarthy, who does all this T-shirt printing for Shaw, uh, for Hill Farmstead, was also involved in actually doing the very first logo. And and, uh, and there's still a couple T-shirts floating around um, that Sean Hill and Sean McCarthy did together, um, which have Hill Farmstead sort of first logo branding. Um, and the logo... The logos were all very, like, kind of rustic. You know, it was all like, oh, farmy and you know, um, you know, sort of distressed and, you know, uh, sort of historic farm imagery or, you know, sort of what you would think of as like what a typical hill farm, like a, like a rustic farm thing should look like. Um, and it never really clicked. You know, we did all this work and we were kind of like, man, Sean is, is super particular and he kind of knows what he wants when he sees it. And nothing was really working, and which is fair because I, I think that that's probably to the credit of the, 
uh, up to him and, and to the to the um, to what it needed to be, what the what the beers needed to be, uh, how the beers needed to be represented. Um, but one thing that was always that, that he knew he always wanted to be included was the the chalice. And if you're familiar with the logo, it's kind of an odd box H, you know, hourglass shape with like a, a chalice, a, a a glass in the middle, almost a wine glass. And that came from um, a sign that was on his, uh, I think it's a great, great, great grandfather's um, saloon, which was in Greensboro uh, and no longer exists. You know, it's in the, it was off, uh, I don't, I'm not even sure exactly what it was, but now it's off on a, a back dirt road somewhere. Um, and so on that, it was like, it's, I think it said Hill Entertainment. And it was like there was that glass, uh, sort of a, a simple wine glass with like a red liquid inside. And so Sean had found that uh, image from his cousin, oh, I'm blanking on it, who's kind of the family historian, and he knew that he wanted to use that in his logo some way. So we all of the sort of logo variations and concepts that we come up with always had that, um, and it and it does now. So that kind of that that design work got tabled, uh, but we knew there were there were some principles. We knew that there was. They, we knew the name, Hill Thompson, we knew the branding was going to be based on, or the, the, the naming was going to be based primarily on ancestors. We knew that the chalice was going to be in the logo in some way, and we knew that the sort of rustic look wasn't quite right. So off he went to Denmark, brewed it in Nerebro. Um, I went and visited him there, and uh, Nerebro is a, a beautiful little, it's Nerebro in the, in the neighborhood of, of Nerebro, which is in Danish, it's like Nerebro, it's like this strange... Uh, you know, oh, with a slash through it, which is Scandinavian <laughs> uh, pronunciation. But um, and it was cool because I went to, so I went to visit him, and um, at this brew, at this at this brew pub on the wall uh, inside the brewery, uh, actually in the in the dining area, was a huge poster or or sort of sign that broke down the branding of the company, um, which I thought was really interesting because you don't see that often in, in an American institution, you know, where you, where you see sort of uh, an explanation of the branding and where it came from. But it was, um, you know, it was a system, and it was a system of um, color coding and um, iconography that related to the identity of the, of the company, but also to the beers and how the beers would be um, uh, designed. So they had multiple color wheels that were, I think one was, one color wheel was uh, a variety of colors that represented the color of the beer. Uh, that was sort of the interior ring. The exterior ring was a variety of colors that represented flavor profiles. And so each beer um, had two or three different colors. And so when, you, when a new beer was produced, what they would do is go to the color wheel and say, well, we, have, we know that the color of the beer is this, and we know that the flavor profiles are these. So we use these colors. So it was almost an unemotional or uncreative uh, decision-making process because that creative foundation in the branding and, and the, 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 the branding system had been developed initially. So th that was just that that struck me as very smart, very succinct, very elegant, um, and those are the things that Sean wanted in his beers. You know, succinctness is a word you hear, and elegance, uh, and and sort of. Precision, you know, those are those are ways that Sean describes his beers, and uh, and I think has sort of shaped the style of beer that has come since then. 
um, in terms of what we drink with New England style IPA or whatnot. Even though it's cloudy, there's there's sort of a, a clarity to the purpose of the beer. Um, and so the, that sort of branding really resonated with me, and it did with Sean as well. Uh, and so Sean worked with that designer who worked uh, who had developed that uh, for for Hill Farmstead. And so a lot of ways that was the thought process that comes into the simple, you know. Uh, color system that we have for uh, the ancestral beers um, and uh, then we started then not we Sean started to barrel age the ancestral beers so we sort of inverted the label design uh, from a solid background color to black and then the logo became sort of the window into that color uh, so you sort of have a system there from uh, ancestor also uh, so Anna or Arthur for example, when they become barrel-aged beers, they become shortened to Anne and Art, and then the label, uh, we know exactly how that label is going to, uh, to, 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 to look because of uh, the system that's developed ahead of time. So that's something that we try to do. I mean, there's a lot of different beers, and we try to come up with a strong system uh, that accepts the variety of beer that, that, that they make uh, in a clear, succinct, elegant, meaningful way. Um, so... Yeah, that, I guess that's a little bit of, in terms of like the history of, of, of the branding uh, of Hill Farmstead and my relationship to it. So, yes, I did not come up with that uh, logo, uh, but I can uh, say that I work with it now and I think it's a great system to work with. Um, but I also feel pretty strongly involved in, in the initial uh, brand development um, before that logo necessarily was created. Um, anyway, so it's been, fun, it's been a fun process for me and, and certainly educational because we've been working on it for well over 10 years now, um, even though the, uh, the brewery is not that old. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, so. I, I mean, I love that you, yeah, you can kind of pinpoint the moment in time, the, the light bulb that went off, right? You were at the brew pub and you saw this sign, which I agree. I think, I think to see style sheets and how things kind of come together and the, the method to the madness to be explained in an, almost like an infographic in a way is just really, it's really powerful. So I, I love that it just resonated and, Again, a lot of this seems like we were talking before about my day job being in market research, you know, the, the researching of the family history and you know, the details that go into it. So then to say, well, who made this poster, you know, and try to find that person and get them involved. I think that's, yeah. it just shows the level of of detail and, you know, precision that goes into the, the whole process. Now, yeah. yeah, now, now we have, they have the, the cans. So, how, how has that been for a process? What is the, the style sheet or design around the, the new cans that have kind of been starting to, to pop up here and there? Yeah. Um, cans have been uh, sort of on the market now. Well, not really at the, on the market. I mean, they're available at the brewery. Uh, but, yeah, they've been, they've been um, available uh, at Hill Farmstead since, um, I think, since, June, like mid-June, because Sean and I were uh, in Europe together when I think the first can release happened. Um, so, yeah, the, I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, we we spend a lot of time on those labels, even though they're quite simple and, and, and a very direct sort of um, uh, spin-off of the, of the, of the bottle uh, labels. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there's, what, what do I say about them? I mean, they're uh, in some ways, pretty similar. They have the logo at the center, and they um, we try to come up with a unique color for each of the beers, um, which is 
incredibly challenging when you have the variety of beers that are being produced and it's like oh it's another ipa or pale ale that's going into a beer what what green can we pull you know now uh as the as the um uh you know as the signature color for that beer but so that yeah i i guess i would say that like i think that they're 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 working i think that they you know are nice but i don't think they're done you know i think we're going to continue to work on those labels uh, and not just the labels, but really the packaging, the overall packaging, the cans. Um, I don't think there will be, um, you know, specific can printing um, for each of the beers, but we might do something um, that is a little bit more than just a label in terms of branding for those cans uh, and design for the cans. Um, so, yeah, we're kind of working on that now. We're you know, thinking about it. We're talking about it. I'm starting to do some sketches for uh, what we're going to take that, um, but cans are our cool development. And Sean was our Hill Farmstead was a little sort of late to the can game, uh, considering uh, the style of beer that they produce being you know a lot of um, uh, hop forward beers. Uh, but you know Sean was committed to growlers for a long time, and um, and I think I can't speak for him, but I think he came around to the idea that like a of can is a great vessel to to carry that style of beer. Um, they remain fresh. You can drink them outside and they won't get skunked, uh, which was actually the, the original reason for them. Uh, so you know, when you're at Hill Farms, you can go outside with a beer. Uh, but if you go outside with a hoppy beer, it's going to get skunked in seconds. You know, so he's like, what's the – he'd been talking about, like, do we come up with, you know, a ceramic kind of mug cup to serve beer in if you're going outside? And then he was like, oh, we'll just – we'll put them in cans. And then if you want to go outside, take your beer outside in a can, and that's the best way to sort of drink it and, and retain that fresh hoppy flavor um anyway and then then they started to sell them for uh for take homes um so yeah i guess it's to say like can labels are uh you know if you look at the, the label the, the bottles of the cans you can see the relationship there uh but we're we're not done with those so so stay tuned there should be something uh new coming in the future at some point can't say when but uh, yeah. we're working on it <laughs> no i I've, and i think that the all the all the labels and everything you're saying like they're they're connected and you can see that but that, that's another it's like a subtle design thing but everything is is connected you know with uh you know the, how the things are the logos are worked and the color choices that are done so I, I i definitely i really find it i find it really interesting and i'm excited about that i mean the cans now being for for takeaway yeah i've only been i've only been there twice and so it's just nice to 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 make that drive but you know try to fit as much stuff as you you can you know in, to take home that day because yeah, riding up to vermont from connecticut doesn't doesn't happen all the time so it's definitely yeah. worth it well I, I i thank you for making your the, the the trek a lot of people do it and it's a long drive but uh it's uh it makes a a, a company like hill farmstead um well it 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 it, it makes it a, survive basically you know what i mean a lot of a lot of folks like yourself who are coming from southern new england up there are, are the are the are the, the main consumers of Hill Farmstead. I mean, they're they're the ones that are really coming. I mean, a lot of locals drink it, but um, you know, having that outside support is a is a huge part of, of their success. So I'd say thank you to you and your friends who are continuing to, to make the haul up there. And uh, anyway, yeah, my little plug for yeah, right for <laughs> Vermont tourism, right? Is like plays a little yeah. part in your heart there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah, I can I can push those buttons. I can get you. Yeah, I think it's I think it's great. Um, yeah, especially, I mean, I think it made logical sense with the cans. I mean, what they're trying to do, I think, is also go up there and be part of the experience. You know, some of the beers are, 
you know, are very limited, how many you can have. So I think that if you, once you go up there, I think I, for me personally, once you, once I've been there, been on site, it makes the experience of enjoying the beers, you know, all that, you know, all that, I guess much better. I was going to butcher the yeah. English language there, so I had to stop myself, but <laughs> yeah, it's just a, it, yeah, it's a beautiful spot. So if you haven't got, again, we'll give another lecture plug of this. There's a brewery called Hill Farmstead. They're becoming pretty popular. I think folks, <laughs> folks should hear about them pretty soon. If you haven't, you're listening to this, stay tuned. They're going to do some big things and you can check them out at uh, hillfarmstead.com. Now, one of the cool things when I was kind of going through your, your portfolio and looking at what I could find online was the, the work that you had done or do with uh, Tired Hands. And that's another brewery, you know, out of, we've, uh, we've spoken to Mike uh, Lawrence, who's done work with them. And I yeah. know Gene does a lot of great work over there. And some of the cans that you've done there are, are, are awesome. So I, I was definitely excited to, to, to learn that you've, you know, been doing you know artwork with, with Gene and, and Tired Hands over there. And so I just wanted to kind of see how's the, how the, the two processes, you know, from you or, I mean, and, and I know you do work with other breweries and, uh, cideries, um, but just kind of, yeah. you're, you're, I always like to learn about the, the project management or, yeah. or, the, or the creative process. Yeah, for sure. And, um, and so I met, um, yeah, and that's, that's great. I do work with, with, with tired hands and, um, uh, you know, Gene is a, is also a, an incredible brewer and, um, and also a, a, an incredibly creative person himself. Uh, I mean, I think, uh, you can, you, you can use the term artist certainly to talk about um, somebody like, like Sean, uh, but I would also use the term like technician, you know, to talk about Sean because he's, he's almost a, as equally a scientist, you know, um, in his sort of adherence to, uh, to precision and, 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 and um, you know, accuracy. Uh, I, you know, Gene has some of those qualities, but I think he's almost more heavily weighted on the sort of creative side. And I think that's proof of the styles of beer that he's making. I mean, you know, the, the milkshake beers, for example, it's like, what? Like where, you know, that's just, that was, I think, kind of a joke, you know, initially, and now it's, now it's a style, you know, it's just, it's kind of mind blowing, but, um, and he's, an, but he's an artist legitimately himself. I mean, he does a lot of drawing and painting, uh, and he's been doing that a long time. Um, and, you know, his cans now, it's funny, I was in Vermont uh, this summer and talking with a couple different people, and I, I hadn't even mentioned my, my connection to Tired Hands, but and but mentioning that I was from Philadelphia, and so they said, oh, Tired Hands, love Tired Hands, and um, which is just outside the city, outside of Philly, and uh, they said, man, those cans, so cool, like, you know, and I'm not taking any kind of credit or, or claim for, for, for that, you know, excitement about the cans, because I have a very... You know, I'm involved, but it's, I wouldn't say that I, you know, I'm responsible by any means for, for, for what that is. The stuff he was sort of inspired by Edward Gorey, um, and that kind of, uh, you know, it's a little dark, it's a little psychedelic, it's a little weird, lots of sort of pen and ink. Um, but he wasn't, he was like, I don't know how to turn this into a brand, so I helped him develop a logo for that, uh, come up with some sort of uh, basic um, sort of branding elements uh, before he started the cafe. And then we came up with some labels for, you know, barrel-aged beers that he was doing or sort of bar- uh, saison, bottled saisons. Um, but all the stuff was always, you know, Gene's illustration. Um, I was kind of the designer helping to make it um, work. Uh, and then since then, they've obviously worked with a number of other designers. Uh, Phil Dahl um, was an, is an illustrator and artist in Philadelphia who Gene worked with for a while. Um, and obviously now Mike Lawrence, um, who does incredible 
pen and ink um, marker work. I mean, just, yeah, super, super detailed, really weird, but great. Uh, his labels are, are fantastic. Um, and basically what I do is I work with Gene. Gene and I are sort of do collaborative work together. Uh, and then I also have to mention Rob Berliner, who's uh, sort of the in-house design guy, uh, who does a lot of the merchandise design, but also um, has his hand in the labels as well. So uh, he's 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 an active part of the design team. So there's really a team uh, involved. That's Gene, Mike, myself, Rob. Uh, we all have a hand in it, and and that's a fun collaborative project um, because you have to sort of take your own ego out of it when you're working with other people, which is which I think is um, important as an artist and as a human. <laughs> yeah, I I I think that. And one of the things that we try to focus on is the, the fact that, like you're saying, all these people that are, quote unquote, behind the scenes and what's really going on. I think that these breweries, you know, making those choices, I mean, to to include art, include design to the level that it is now that I think it's its own standalone piece. That I think it's a key, you know, one of my favorite parts of the the craft beer scene. Obviously, the the beer is great too, but I just I, I think it's just great that these that the choices and that thought that goes into some of this stuff is for a, you know, a product that's consumed quite quickly, you know, give or take, obviously if it's depending on what you do with it when you leave, but I just to, just to know that so many people go, are working on those pieces of it. It's just, it's really, it's incredible. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, and uh, you know, observing the beer scene where it's at now and, and, and the label art that goes along with it. Uh, I mean, in some ways, and I'm not by any means knocking Tired Hands beers or, or Tired Hands labels. I think they're, they're incredibly cool and really sometimes weird. And I think that's a testament to where we're at with, uh, with the craft beer world. I mean, now Tired Hands is, is a great brewery to make a good product and people love it. And so you, in some ways, you, you have the flexibility or the, 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 the um, um, opportunity, I don't know, the privilege to, to kind of do whatever you want. I mean, you know, you can put some pretty weird stuff on labels and, and people are going to buy it anyway. It's not like, you know, you know, people aren't judging the book by its cover anymore. Now, if you're trying to go on, on store shelves, that's a different story. But when you're selling direct from the brewery or, uh, yeah, a lot of the stuff gets traded. I mean, it's, it's sort of this small commodity thing. And because the beer is so sought after, um, the labels can, you know, not that they're secondary, they're really important, but that, you know, there's a sort of a creative freedom there because it's not exclusively about like, is this going to sell a product? Um, and that's a pretty neat place to be in. And not a lot of producers or, or, or businesses have that luxury to sort of think about their branding as like purely like, what do we want to make as opposed to, you know, how's this going to sell? So that's a pretty, that's a pretty cool thing. And I think Tired Hands in particular is taking advantage of that. I don't know if that's intentional, but um you know, I think I think that's a reality that they their beer is really sought after, and so they can kind of do do what they want, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that was the yeah that was the vibe I got from speaking with Mike. It was that you already like the theme being kind of like you already know why you're there, right? You already know you're at for this instance, Tired Hands. You already know about their product, so the can doesn't have to you know have you know. 150 point font of the the brewery name and you know all that information yeah. kind of already there but to your point if you're you know cpg right uh, package goods um on the shelf it's a, it's different right there's there's other you're, you are trying to share some information it's not just like you couldn't just put a 
you know, a, a, something on target and not have a, you know, not have any information about what it is and just expect it to just fly off the shelves. But, you know, when, yeah. you, when people are going to the brewery, there's already a preconceived kind of quality, you know, inherited, inherited in the, in the transaction. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, looking at, at bottles on the shelf now, I mean, you, there's a lot of great bottle bars or bottle shops in Philly. And, you know, I go in there, I go in there now almost like going to a library just to kind of peruse the peruse the shelves and, and see what's available um I, I rarely i mean and i'm not trying to uh i don't have to buy a lot of beer unfortunately i get i get a lot of beer which is great um i also don't drink as much as i used to when i was you know having having kids and a family and stuff but you know my my one or two beers yeah um you know anyway so so i don't have to buy a lot but i go in and i just see what's out there and the you know the labels are beautiful there's a lot of incredible designers working for breweries now i was just on a panel um, with a with a group of folks from the Philly area, you know, you know um, Keith Shore from McKellar and um, JP Flexner from um, Chamonix Creek and Keith Griman, uh, uh, Highway Manor, and uh, oh gosh, I'm blank, blanking her name. Lin- Lindsay um, Lindsay Tweed from Trugs. Yes, thank you. Thank I got you. you. I got you. Yeah, you got me. <laughs> um, she's you know she's an incredible designer and illustrator. I love the Trugs rebranding. So. You know, and it's just, um, it's great. I mean, the, the the art that's out there, I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. And uh, it's neat to see how it's shifting and changing. I mean, it's, uh, I wonder where it's going to go. You know, I mean, we're so, you, I can sort of see these style trends moving through the industry, you know, from the sort of uh, throwback classic, uh, you know, sort of mid, you know, not mid-century, but like turn of the century, 18th to 19th century, or eight, uh, 19th to 20th century sort of style of, of illustrations of like, you know, interesting fonts and, you know, scripts or you know, uh, line work and stuff like that to uh, more sort of modernist style, uh, you know, in the, uh, the, you know, the other half um, style of, 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 of uh, design work. You, know, you, in, you see all those trends sort of move through and, and other breweries take, take it and spin with it. And anyway, it's just, it's neat. It's a, it's a creative time. Um, it's fun to observe. Yeah. And, we were both, it was unfortunate, we were both in uh, the Netherlands. I think we missed each other by a couple of days, which was... Yeah, that's right. I, I was, yeah, I saw you in Rotterdam, which I, I lived for uh, like three periods. Like 2008 till now, I lived there like three different periods of like six to eight weeks. So for a couple of months at a time. So uh-huh. it was, yeah, it was cool. it's definitely, yeah, Rotterdam's a, a special place for our family. But it, when, I, when I was in, in Holland, it was just really, like you're saying about the throwbacks, it was really like... The labels there, other than a few of the breweries that have launched probably in the last, let's say, you know, five years, but they all have that classic topography, just font, like, and it's, and so it's really amazing to see how it's evolved, and it actually, with them being, you know, more early, I guess, pioneers or originators of a lot of these beer styles, the the labels there are still classic over there, which is, which was really, it's got, it's nice to kind of just see, to kind of step back in time and see some of these breweries that have been around for hundreds of years. And their labels are just just as classic as they you know were when they first launched. So that, that's always cool to see. Yeah, yeah. Rotterdam is a is a very cool city. Um, and there's um, I don't know if you went to. Oh, I'm blanking on it, but you probably went there. Uh, it's it's the it's like um, oh, uh, De Mol- It's like De Molen's kind of like sister brew pub. Um, you know, De Molen, uh, which is like the largest craft brewery in 
in the Netherlands, I think. Um, but there's, oh, I'm blanking on the name. Anyhow, there's a very cool um, brew pub there now. And uh, uh, it's just, it's just, anyway, that's just sort of the anchor of, of, of this thriving kind of, uh, you know, maker scene. Uh, you know, there's like a bakery and butcher shop and uh, uh, just, you know, small bookstore it's it, anyway it's just, it's just a neat city i love it a lot um yeah it was, it's, obviously it's great because it but it's weird because it stands out in in the netherlands because of it being so flat because it was bombed during the war and there's only i think one or i think the post office and maybe city hall are the only two buildings that remain from that era that are original and so everything else is kind of yeah. post so if you travel over holland you just notice the hills and the 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 so it's more modern, and then to be there, I had been there in almost, I guess, eight or nine years to see the the train station, the Centrale. I mean, that was like yeah. that was mind blowing to me because when I was there, there eight nine years ago, they were breaking ground on it. So to see this modern, you know, amazing kind of train, you know, hub was 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 really awesome to to see. And one other thing, I was I just wanted to just bring this is a note from speaking to you. You're very complimentary and you're a very kind person in the way you appreciate others and their art and stuff. So I just, that's really kind of just the way that you don't, you know, you give, you know, say what this artist is doing or this style. And so I just, I mean, it's just, we've never met, but I just, that's one thing that's, you know, in this short window, it's just resonated with me is, you know, making sure everybody's included, not taking credit for things that you may be people for yours. I just, it's a, it's a it's a nice character trait that I think should you know just wanted to to share that with you. Oh, well, thank you. That's 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 very nice of you. I appreciate it. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. I don't know if it's. Uh, I don't know where that comes from, but yeah, I, I certainly uh, I I try not I try not to sort of. Um, I don't know. As when you're when you're doing creative work, it's you're you're so you're you're making something, you know, and it's a reflection of what you want to see and, 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 uh, and you're producing something that comes from within, but as a, as a commercial artist, as a designer, you know, you're always also working for, uh, the audience, you know, that being the, 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 the public, the consumer, the citizen, whoever that is, but also then your client. So you're always sort of taking other people into consideration. And, uh, I don't know, I, I guess also I, I'm not a, a, classically trained designer in some ways you know I, I didn't go to school for it so I still have this sort of feeling of inferiority uh and 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 I and I really appreciate the you know other people who are doing this kind of work uh who are either trained or or, or untrained but um uh, I, I it's always a collaborative process and I and I think it's important to uh, both take your ego out of it because there's too much ego in the world especially in beer <laughs> uh, you know, in the beer world, there's a lot of that. So I think it's helpful to, for us to all just check that a little bit. Uh, and it's not about me, you know, so uh, I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it. I love the opportunity to be able to make these um, labels and to be in this industry and to work with the, the cool and creative people that are in it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's not about, it's not about me and it's a team effort. So um, uh, yeah, I guess that's where that comes from. But yeah, um, well, well maybe, said, maybe yeah. you'd say something differently if we met. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just no. I mean, I I can tell. So I'm a. I like to think I'm a good judge of character, and I just think it just fits in all the things or all the choices that you're that you've made. So I I, I that just it just stuck out to me. I mean, 
talking about the panel and again you're saying like the humility you're on this panel and you it was a panel where you were invited but you made sure to recognize the other individuals and when we were talking about tired hands you made sure to you know the whole team down to the in-house designer and you know the, the hill farm said logo when you were you know abroad it just it, it wasn't it was second nature to you so i don't even think maybe you didn't even realize that so I, I i definitely put you on the spot with that one but i just wanted to 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 share what i noticed cool uh and you said you know you're you're not classically trained what, how would you describe your your aesthetic or your 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 style um you know obviously yeah that's a yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but it's a good question. I mean, I think you're asking about what my style is. Um, you know, I think a lot of designers w will say that they don't have a style. I think that's a pretty, you know, and and it's when you're talking about or when you're looking at sort of the beer industry and craft beer industry in particular, um, there are a lot of um, labels and, and, and brands that are very illustrative based. And so there's a lot of overlap now between used to be the, the illustrator and the designer, you know, and, 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 you know, I think there's always been a blend of, of those two roles uh, in more broadly commercial art, especially when you look back at sort of the classic advertising age of the, of the post-war boom, you know, and where illustration, you know, fine art illustration almost, you know, the Coca-Cola stuff, um, for example, was, was so prevalent. Uh, so the role of, of, of sort of artists, and, or illustrator and designer was, was blended. Uh, and I think we're sort of maybe not, not there again, but in the beer industry, at least, that's, uh, there's a lot of people who, who are sort of fall into both of those camps. Um, thinking about Keith Shore, for example, from Keller. I mean, he's, you know, I think he's, I, I sort of think of him as an illustrator, you know, but he obviously is designing labels. I mean, he makes so many labels now. Um, so I don't know, getting back to your question about like, what's my style? Um, I, it's hard for me to say what that is. I mean, you know, looking at Mike Lawrence, for example, I mean, you can sort of say, well, he does black and white, you know, sort of dark technical drawing, you know. Um, mine, I think, uh, is, is somewhat influenced by uh, an interest in, um, um, in clean um, sort of classic design, I guess. It's like... Um, because of my background or my experience with the, the posters of the WPA, the um, the poster art, I, I like that. I don't do stuff that looks like illustri illustrative posters, but I really appreciate that. I like the use of uh, of font and typography. Um, I wish I had more sort of um, uh, yeah, like hand drawn stuff. I think that's something that I'd like to move into. But I don't know. What do you think my style is? I mean, <laughs> it's hard for somebody to. To, to say that of their own work, I guess. Uh, yeah, no, but, I, um, I, I don't, I'm not, I just know what I like, and I, I know that's, I, it's a question, and, and I apologize, I, I do ask that question to everyone, the A word, aesthetic, and I think that was when I was coming up with the idea for for the podcast, and to what, what, what I asked people, and I was, I think I was just very proud to have, a, you know, a question that sounded like I was uh, like an art aficionado, and, and I, so I, your your pain point has been shared by uh, many artists across across the country, and so yeah. I think it's um, yeah. So I do apologize, but I just I think that um, the other you know thirty plus artists would would be like, why didn't he get that question? And so it just kind of yeah, yeah. it kind of it kind of came up, but I do think it's you know from what I've seen it, it's very it's very clean, it's very 
vibrant. It's, you know, it's, it's warming. Um, I don't know if that's a style, but I also then, and then I was thrown for, you know, kind of a, a loop with the, the tired, some of the tired hand stuff that, you know, I saw on Pelt's creative and, and then the yeah. newer, the newer work that you've, you know, you, you're doing with, um, the, the brewery out of, uh, out of, out of Pennsylvania round guys. So that, that's a, that's a different style also. So I, and I, I think that's a, I think it's interesting yeah. because. Well, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I just think it's. I think it's interesting because the, you're saying not having a style and saying you're not classically trained. You know, one could argue that you're not pigeonholed or you know you're not set in one way. Like you said, Mike has his black and white. You know, line clean line work, and you know it's dark. But you know, yours is evolving, or at least you have that level of openness to its evolution and it's not kind of you know you're trying to you know, challenge yourself and try different things which i like yeah well you know and a lot of the work that i do is actually sort of in in collaboration with other people so the round guys for example is done with um with an illustrator keith griman um who's my neighbor and good friend and um and he does he does work now for um as i mentioned highway manor uh, he's doing these illustrations for round guys. So he got sort of this round guys gig and then said like, Hey, I can do these illustrations, but I need you to help me kind of make them work and, you know, compose the, the label and, and, you know, we brainstorm together, but it's really like tired hands in some ways. It's like, that's his, that's his hand, you know, it's his style that's, that's coming through there. Um, I would say the one, the, the, the labels that I've been working on recently that I feel are um, maybe the most indicative of my style are the stuff for Plowman Cider. Uh, which is a cidery that's out of um, Adams County, Pennsylvania. Um, there's a lot of great ciders coming out of Pennsylvania these days. There's a, there's a, it's a huge apple-producing state, and um, and uh, a lot of the old uh, farms and orchards that were selling sort of commodity apples are shifting over to cider apples in an effort to have a higher-value product and and make something that's uh, more appealing to to the current sort of appetite of the of the of the customer base. And so these ciders are are excellent. Um, and so that was a, is a project I'm working on with uh, Ben Wank, who's the uh, the, ne- the latest generation that's running the farm, and he started the cidery. That's um, Three Springs Fruit Farm that, that grows the apples, and then he started a brand on top of it called Plowman, which is uh, uh, the, the, the cider producer. And um, so I'm work- working with them very closely on the development of that brand, and that's that's all me, and I really like how that's come out. I think it's a I think it's an excellent. Um, example of my style, which is sort of, I don't know, clean but classic with some illustrative elements to it. Um, and so that's, that's yeah, I think that's a good example of where I'm at these days. Uh, and I would also say, I guess to that point, I, I love to be proven wrong. I like to be pushed. Um, I, I, I don't, I'm not always experimenting with new styles, but I think that I like to look at my work and critique it and see what else I can do differently or better. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess in some ways I like the freedom of not being pigeonholed by one um, particular aesthetic or style that people expect from me. Uh, it gives you the opportunity to grow and work with different people and collaborate and be, either be front and center with your art or kind of behind the scenes and supportive. And uh, that's that's how I see myself. Um, and yeah, I, I guess that's where I'm at with, with my, my aesthetics these days. Great. Yeah. Well, like I said, I... I apologize and I thank you for, for answering that question. So, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah sure. And, and like I said, uh, folks scoring at home, Pelt's creative, uh, on Instagram, there are some of those, um, examples of the, the plowman 
uh, cider, and my family loves cider, so and especially if we it's in Pennsylvania, we'll definitely be be looking for those. They're and they're nice big, big large bottles, which are great for just you know sitting around with the family dinner or, or what have you. Yeah. So I do I do look forward to to trying those out. And also, which I think is cool, and, and I have one more question, but just wanted to, is some of the things that maybe, you know, you, you post that kind of hit the cut, cutting floor or didn't make, you know, didn't get put on something. Like, I really like that, yeah. uh, the Pilsner one that you uh, put up, uh, I guess, a couple of months ago. <laughs> yeah. I, I just think it's kind of has, it looks almost like you're looking at something through like a microscope, has a, a more like a rope and, or even just kind of wave a wave file or what have you. So I definitely think it's a, uh, it's really cool. It's intricate, but you know, clean and simple, which I, which I like. And yeah. just, and just as I say to everybody, I hate saying simple cause I, I think it's just a, I don't, I don't like to, it just makes it simple is a synonym sometimes for easy and that's not what I'm trying to say. So I just, right. I use no, it, but I then I hate it too, and, and I cringe when I say yeah. it sometimes. Yeah, or clean is another one that's like, and I use it a lot too. And you kind of know what you mean when you say it, but when you hear it, it's sort of like it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> so when you say it, it's meaningful, but when you hear it, it's uh, it's sort of meaningless. It's just sort of the irony of those words. Right. But, yeah. If you, if yeah, you, that last yeah. evil in particular, I just want to talk about quickly because um, I like it as well, and it was inspired by um, Guinness labels. Um, and when before Sean and I got to the Netherlands, we were in Ireland, and we had a great uh, tour of the Guinness factory, which was um, which was hooked up uh, by Michael Kaiser of Good Beer Hunting, and uh, so we went on this yeah really incredible like you know two hour tour two plus hour tour, which was the condensed version. It probably would have been more like four hours if we really had the time to do it. Uh, but we got to go to the Guinness archives, and that was, for me, a pretty exceptional part of the visit because they took us in, and we sat down with the archivist, and he brought out you know, the label archives, um, which showed the history of the Guinness brand. And it's something that I didn't know, which was the you know Guinness, I think like a lot of breweries back in the day, would sell beer from their brewery. But they were not the bottlers; they were just the producers. And so the 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 essentially the pubs that were selling would even would e- either put them on draft or they would bottle their own beer. And so if they were bottling their own beer, so it was like the brewery was the brewery, and then the bottler was the sell was the you know the seller of the product. And they would come up with these designs, and then they would have to have them approved by Guinness. So you and there were all these sort of um, trademark. Uh, requirements and so they have this history of all these labels that were sent to them for approval and they have these uh these 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 massive books that show approved and rejected label designs and so we were you know we got to like look through those and see the history and it was just very very cool um and so we talked with the archivist about yeah the, the brand development of guinness and um and actually those water waves in that label that you're referencing on my instagram account were were uh uh, admittedly pulled from uh, from from the Guinness label. I don't think they're exactly the same, but 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 strongly inspired by <laughs> by them. So if you're if, to those who are listening, maybe check out a Guinness label and you might saw, see those uh, those those sort of water waves in there um, in the in the Guinness labels. Yeah, I, no, I, I again again given your your credits where your credits do. So again, yeah, I love. We've had the pleasure as a family to to visit Ireland and. 
to have a, a there's just something special about having a, a Guinness in, in Ireland and just kind of it, it definitely tastes better so I, I saw and again you even showed that you showed uh, I think you're some of the early label the the porters and stuff like that which yeah. I don't think are synonymous with these Guinness on this side you know on this side of the pond you know and anytime right. I can use on this side of the pond in a conversation I will always do that so um, is yeah, it's just it's just great, and so I think that um, like I said, follow along. Um, Pelt's creative. You can see a lot of Alex and, and his wife's creative work, and then if you want to follow the world traveler and just kind of uh, the world through Alex's eyes, it's Alex W Pelt's on Instagram. So definitely check that. Our last question. This one won't be the awkwardness of the aesthetic question. As a you know, as a in your process or when you're creating, or do you have certain music or ambiance that you try to set up in your in your studio at your home are you are you a kind of a quiet kind of guy when you're creating yeah that's a good question well i i have a home office um that i work at uh on occasion but i also work out of a co-working space in philadelphia called culture works um which is a really cool space uh it's a great you know um it's a great building and they've done a lot with the, with the space itself but it's a very cool group of people um, really, uh, an incredible mix of people doing different things. So that's that's nice for me. It's just being in an environment where there are uh, sort of a hive of activity, which is different from when you're working at home, kind of just closed in an office, you know, looking at yourself. You know, um, music-wise, well, I listen to the radio a lot. Admittedly, I listen to like you know news uh, at times, but when I'm really kind of in the zone for creative stuff, oh man, I kind of have you know, I'm not. I love music, but I don't. I'm not. Uh, you know, a major follower of new music I listen to. Um, what do I have on the radio? Um, Cigarose, I listen to Radiohead. Cigarose um, is, to, yeah, Cigarose is amazing. So I've seen them in concert. So whatever else you say, you, then you've already won me over. Yeah, that's, they're, I, they're incredible. So you're doing just fine. Yeah. Yeah, I, I listen to sort of throwback uh, house music. Um, stuff that doesn't have a lot of vocals or like, you know, Radiohead sort of muffled vocals, <laughs> stuff I can't understand because uh, when I really need to just sort of uh, have have some inspiring background music, I, I don't like a lot of uh, vocals, I guess. Um, but yeah, that's that's where I'm at with the, with the music vibe, I guess. Well, like I said, yeah, Sigur Rós is a band from Iceland and they have a kind of a made-up hybrid language between Icelandic and English and so it's almost like a additional instrument so I can see how that would give you the, and it, it's, it's really, in, it's intense at times, especially you see it in con, it was weird, just, uh, first time I saw it was in New York City at the Beacon, and I'm not used to just sitting down for a concert, and so, especially at the Beacon, you know, you're supposed to be rocking out at the Beacon, and everybody was sitting down, and it yeah. was, it yeah. was just like this really, you know, lovely imagery, you know, all behind them, on like this huge curtain, and yeah, so I, we've, we've seen them several times, and I really, I don't, that name was, that's the first one person that's mentioned that one. So cheers to, cheers to you there. Cool. Well, I, I thank you, Alex, for, for making the time. Um, I, I really do appreciate it. Um, I just, I appreciate your insight. I appreciate your perspective on, on life and design and just taking the time to, to, to join us. Um, it really was enjoyable. And I, I just wanted to you know, thank you for being a part of the project. Oh, well, thank you. And, and uh, it's been a pleasure. All right, my friend. Well, uh, next time I'm home in Philadelphia, maybe uh, our our paths can cross and we can uh, enjoy a, a beverage in, in, in 3D. And I'll definitely be on the lookout for that cider. And uh, again, just wanted to thank you.
Yeah, thanks again. And, um, yeah, let's, let's get a beer next time you're in town. All right, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Alex. Have a great day. Okay. All right, bye-bye. 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 There you have it, folks. Alex W. Peltz. Right here on this 16-ounce canvas, the Art of Craft Beer podcast. And yes, folks, we are listening to Cigaros. Love this band so much. I've been listening to a lot since I actually spoke to Alex, so I really want to thank him just for that, on top of everything else, that you know, making the time to, to speak with us. But... You know, when you when I'm doing the editing, when you're listening to the interviews, you know, I probably listen to them another three, four, five times, you know, give or take. Some, you know, and you just pick up little nuggets here and there. A lot of times, it's me saying stupid things or things I wish I could take back. But in thinking about Alex, what makes him really unique to me in doing this is he's not only an artist himself, but I think he's a curator of art. You know, the great work he did with the WPA, and if you check out those images i mean just a, the historical significance of them is incredible but also how he helps others you know bring their work as a true designer you know there's several instances he was talking about where he wasn't you know doing the illustrations but he helped you know to bring the the branding and the imaging you know to life and so that's one of the things we're trying to do here we're trying to introduce you to those artists designers illustrators whatever shurs or errs they are, who help bring our favorite beers and breweries to life. I know it's kind of become part of our tagline, but it was really you know, evident. Um, I was going to say these truths to be self-evident you know, in speaking with Alex, that he really you know, fits that mold tenfold. And so I'm not trying to do another rhyme here, but it was just really, it was really a good experience. I really enjoyed speaking with him, seeing how he looks at things, appreciates others it's awesome because i think that you know a lot of times there's a lot of folks who do do stuff behind the scenes or grinding or you know play a part in something but aren't maybe the uh the main star you know i have a college roommate uh what's up steve who's you know an actor and if you look at the credits right you know it starts off with the the stars of the show but there's you know so many other people that go into to making things possible and so I think that's a good, you know, takeaway from this is the, you know, looking at the bigger picture and appreciating things and appreciating others a little more. So we thank Alex for that. We thank you for listening. You're listening to the 16 ounce canvas, the art of craft beer podcast. Episode number 32 will be shortly in the books. Trinta y dos. And we thank you for that. If you do have a moment, head on over to iTunes or uh, wherever it is that you are ingesting our podcast. Leave us a review or just click on some stars. Let us know what you think. It really does help. There's some back-end algorithms that are definitely above my pay grade, but uh, I think the more likes and comments you get, the higher you you appear in the different search engines. A little SEO, another fun acronym for you, search engine optimization. But either way, you're here, you're listening, and we appreciate it. We thank you and you and you. So you've been listening to the 16-Ounce Canvas, the Art of Craft Beer podcast, episode number 32 with Mr. Alex Peltz. You can check him out at peltzcreative.com. Also the same handle, Peltz Creative, on Instagram. You can see some of the work he and his wife are doing. 
and then Alex W. Pelts, like an animal skin with a Z, on Instagram. And one other little thing you may notice if you rewind about, I think about 10 minutes or so back as a, as a father, um, you know, we bounced around some different times and sometimes it didn't work for either of us. Either we were home with a, a sick child or just, you know, didn't have a daycare situation. And if you listen about 10 minutes back or so, you can hear, I'm pretty sure it's probably uh, you know, deal with a, a daycare situation. So that's another fun angle I've learned of, you know, entrepreneurs and trying to, you know, manage uh, family and life. And so it's a wonderful thing being a father. And so uh, I always, I always love that. And so we always just, you know, I heard that a few times listening back and it definitely uh, stuck out to me kind of the trying to talk but not you know, ruin the flow of the, of the discussion the interview while you know your little one is uh, in need of your attention. I know there's been several several times when we've had the my little guys come in here, whether we're doing some post work or recording, and they just want to talk on the microphone. So we do have some fun outtakes that we'll have to share with you at some point in the future. I know that when I was interviewing uh, B.J. Wheatley from RAR, my son came in and was just chatting him up, so it was pretty funny. Anyway, thank you. Until next week, you're still listening to the 16-Ounce Canvas, the Art of Craft Beer podcast. This is Sigaros, and we thank you. It's unreal. Until next week, hold that beer a little longer. Appreciate all that went into it, and we'll do our best to keep introducing you to some of the great people that make that, make that all possible. So until next week, thanks, everybody. It's you. It's you.